a real family, which everyone deserves, and you deserve. We don't talk about our pasts. We don't have pasts. Our lives started when we met Charlie. You look like a Marcy May. Marcy was my grandmother's name. There you go. <laughs> oh, yes, the imitation of Christ. <laughs> Solid silver. And downcast eyes. <laughs> Hiding what? Virtue or lecture? <laughs> Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures bother you? No. Do your past failures in life bother you? No. Our great war is a spiritual war. Our great depression is our lives. back hey sarah hey mary how are you i'm okay i'm okay how are you doing i'm i'm pretty good this week i'm in a i've i i feel like i've um discovered kind of a new productivity since i moved house and i'm i feel i'm feeling pretty i'm feeling pretty good pretty optimistic yeah amazing yeah Yeah, i don't know what it is i mean i'm sure it's just hormonal and like two weeks i'm gonna be sobbing (laughs) and feeling like i'm you know devoid of achievement but like I've like been able to co- finish a book for the first time this year. Oh, what like, were you reading? Um, I read this book called Essayism by Brian Dillon, which was oh, just yeah. about the essay. Um, and I just finished, and I finished it. Which I just, you know, I've been this whole year. I've just been picking up books and putting them down again, and not finishing anything. And I can't concentrate, or I'll like say I've read it, but I haven't. Uh huh. Um, <laughs> And yeah, no, I just suddenly kind of felt, I've just, I don't know, got into a good groove um, and been writing every morning as well. So. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Quite a nice week. Uh, I found apart from the news of tier three, which is a bit disappointing. Oh, yeah. Well, I've got some, uh, a fun cultural tidbit to share. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently, like only a few days ago, finally started watching Mad Men. <laughs> Oh my god! I'd never seen it. It was a total cultural blind spot. Oh, how fun to have something like that huge that you can start. You know what it was? I I think the thing that stopped me from really getting into it, like actually starting to watch it, was that I'd convinced myself that I'd watched the pilot and I didn't like it. Like that's so weird. Why did I do that? Like I, I because I watched the first episode thinking, oh here we go, the episode I hated, and then. <laughs> And then it started like unfolding and I'm like, this is all brand new information. I've not seen this before. I wonder what it was that you watched and thought was Mad Men. I know. Like, I I feel like it was some kind of, um, it's just weird, like tricks of the mind where you, maybe it's just an unconscious bias or something. Because I have to admit the 60s are not my favorite decade. Yeah. Um, I I can't really get into the whole aesthetic of it. There's something about it. I just it doesn't really appeal to me so maybe that was what it was it was just this like prejudice against the decade that's so interesting I wonder if that's a 
maybe that's something that connects like boomers and gen x a little bit yeah my dad hates the 60s as well like i mean he likes the music but he hates the aesthetics and mm. it's because they kind of like i think for him it's just because they remind him of school but mm-hmm. when we moved in he helped me move in and we bought this lovely 60s uh modern sideboard from the previous tenants and he 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 we he came into the living room and saw it was the only piece of furniture in there and he went hmm 60s this <laughs> like expression of distaste and i was like yeah isn't it lovely and he was like no it's <laughs> he doesn't like it at all Oh my um, gosh. I remember when, yeah. the, when Mad Men was really big. I think it was at the end of high school for me. Mm-hmm. And it was Mad Men and The Wire were like simultaneously the yeah. most popular TV shows. And I remember my friend Tom had a party, which was Mad Men or The Wire. So mm-hmm. everyone was dressed <laughs> like, a, like a drug dealer or like a 60s secretary. <laughs> <laughs> it is quite a good concept I like that that's a good yeah. combo yeah definitely yeah no I just I have to say like I'm really I really got into it and it's just um I'm only like on episode nine or something in season one but I'm already hooked I'm really interested who's your favorite character so far um I, I have to say it is Don Draper like he he oh. even though he is very flawed and he's he's got a screw loose for sure I cannot stand the people that he works with like the men who he works with like they all kind of remind me of like Patrick Bateman (laughs) (laughs) they all really open up in like subsequent series like everyone's like like I feel like towards the end like Don Draper's not like the least interesting person wow okay Um, because everyone's like such a good character but I'm a Roger Sterling girl I think he's just the best and I find him very attractive and he's also he's the guy that wanted Carrie to pee on him in Sex and the City oh yeah of course (laughs) amazing imagine having that cultural baggage like (laughs) I know I know that's I, I wonder if he knew when he filmed that episode that he would be like you know that he could do an entire like whatever it is like seven series like you know award-winning show but the thing that everyone would say about him is he's the guy that wanted Carrie to pee on him in Sex and the City yeah absolutely but yeah Paul made a joke that he said um you know the marketing executives or ad executives mm-hmm. they're all like Patrick Bateman's dad like yeah. <laughs> oh, that's, that's actually really good you could totally do a tie-in of those two shows of those right? two sort of like universes yeah because Patrick Bateman would have been what 25 26 in the 80s so he could have just been a little kid in the 60s you know you know so anyway that's actually that's quite a good that's a nice like idea for fan fiction yes I really like that someone do that for us we're too lazy (laughs) (laughs) we're never gonna get around to it (laughs) could also could someone also go through the episodes write down all the ideas we have and send them to us because we don't write them down and I can't remember them but I feel like there are some good ones in there yes please all the Virgos listening um (laughs) I'm sure you already have a list somewhere. Um, but this is the penultimate episode in our cults on film series. I know. I'm really excited about this one. I really like these two films. Me too. Um, Martha, Marcy, May, Marlene, and Madeline's Madeline. So many girls' names to remember. 
<laughs> so many alliterative girls' names. Perfect uh, double bill. Yeah, yeah. It's I, it's really nice to. I'm real. I'm a real big fan of Josephine De- Josephine Decker this year. I yeah. um, I think she's amazing. Um, so it's really nice to do that, and it's nice to visit Martha Marcy May Marlene because I haven't seen it for many many years, mm-hmm. and I thought that it would be less good than I remembered, but it was just it was it's a perfect film I think. Yeah, it's really good. Oh yeah, yeah, amazing. It's Elizabeth Olsen, isn't it? Yeah, I love Elizabeth Olsen. When I was younger, I loved the Olsen twins more than anything else in this world. <laughs> like I had like. And like I didn't love the Olsen twins as a child. Like I was kind of vaguely intrigued by them, and I thought they were pretty. But as uh-huh. an adult, I went to when I left school and went to fashion school. I got obsessed with the Olsen twins because, like at the time, they, it was before they really started their fashion empire, and they weren't really acting anymore. So they were just kind of slouching around New York, wearing all of their clothes at once. Yeah. Um, and they just had the most it was just like the most stylish thing I'd ever seen like the way that they just used to kind of dress like bag ladies with these mm-hmm. like huge Starbucks cup, cups and like big sunglasses and they would just be wearing like just so many layers of random stuff yeah. and I just thought they were amazing and I got their book that they made which is like all of their inspirations where they like interviewed Lauren Hutton and people like that that's right. And I had I just like I had pictures of them like saved on like folders on my computer so I could look at them when I got dressed and figure out how to dress like them. So and now and then when Martha Marcy May Marlene came, I have an, I suddenly got a new Olsen to transfer my affections. And now <laughs> Elizabeth is my favorite Olsen. Closely yeah. followed by um, I used to be a Mary Kate girl, but now as I'm a grown up, I like Ashley, the sensible twin. Hmm. Yeah, and then Mary Kate. Mary, the Sark- um, Nicholas Sarkozy's son. That's Mary Kate. All oh, right, and they're divorced yeah. now. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Ashley's definitely the more sensible one. Then. Yeah, definitely. Ashley's. De- Have you ever seen those pictures of Mary Kate and Nicholas Sarkozy's son and Nicholas Sarkozy's son's daughter? <laughs> No. And like the like the daughter and Mary Kate are like look the same age. Like they're just like oh my God. like even though like the daughter's like a teenager, like and also Mary Kate's like four foot two or something, like she's crazy short. Yeah. So and then Nicholas Sarkozy's son is like six foot five. So it's just like the weirdest <laughs> family portrait you've ever seen. I don't even know how the hell that connection was made. It's just so absurd. I just the rich, like they just meet each other in weird ways. <laughs> And they all know each other, I guess. Like at the at the you know the parties, the yeah, party. parties, where they decide what's to be done with us this year. Yeah, no, I totally get it. I have to say, like my um, just because I'm a little bit older, I didn't get into the whole Olsen twins um craze. Mm-hmm. I was a Full House fan, so I that was on when I was a kid, and I was like so into it. I loved Uncle Jesse. Um, <laughs> and if I'm correct, that was just Olsen twin. So it was both Mary Kate and Ashley who kind of they they took turns playing Michelle Tanner. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So it was just one kid, but they were acting alternately. Um, and what's really crazy is that Netflix brought back Full House, and it was called Fuller House. Yeah, but without the Olsons, I'm guessing. But without that, but yeah, exactly. I was gonna say, like the Olsons decided not to join in, so it was the whole cast came back, every single one of them, like down to the neighbor and like high school friends, and you know, 
but not not Michelle. <laughs> Isn't that, don't you think that's because though, as the Olsons have grown are uh, older, their mm. faces don't aren't the same anymore. <laughs> like, and I don't mean like their faces aren't the same as when they were young, but their faces aren't the same as each other. Not at anymore. all. They're, they're, they don't even look identical. They don't because they've had such different lives. Apparently, even though they <laughs> apparently like talk every day and see each other all the time and live next door to each other or whatever. Like, yeah. I, one of them's been I think one of them's had a harder time like maybe with yeah. like eating disorders or drugs yeah. or something like yeah. that so it's changed her facial structure so they mm-hmm. couldn't play one person anymore it's just impossible it would only have to be one of them coming back maybe Ashley exactly it would have to be Ashley and that would be sad for Ashley to have to yeah yeah I wouldn't have yeah you're right that would have been too painful to come back without her sister yeah um like that. but ultimately uh the show got cancelled because uncle um, because Aunt Becky, uh, Lori Lachlan, she was caught up in the whole college fees scandal. Wow. Um, yeah. Oh, is that so, who that was? Because I don't yeah. really know what the house is. So when I heard that name, I was like, I don't know who that is. Yeah, she was Uncle Jesse's wife. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So they couldn't, you know, they couldn't bring it back because there was it had tainted the show too much. It was such a huge scandal. Um. And they had to cancel. And it's really sad because everybody else was gung-ho. They were like, you know, they had more content for yet another season. I think there's like four seasons of Fuller House. So I was really disappointed, I have to say. Thanks a lot, Laurie Lachlan. That's your name. Is that her name? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I think Paul is really confused by the kind of cultural content that I consume because one minute I'm watching like extreme horror and the next minute I'm watching like Fuller House. Oh, that's and just he, what makes a person. Yeah. yeah. Have you been following this whole thing that's going on on TikTok with extreme horror? No. So basically, like the TikTok community that there's like a corner <laughs> of tiktok that which is called sick hashtag sick and twisted movies Ooh, and i didn't even know about it they're recommending all of the extreme they don't even i don't think they even know that it's a genre called extreme horror you know because they're just kids yes. um <laughs> they're zoomers. They're zoomers they don't know what that is so they're f- discovering all these movies and then like making short little like videos about them and then kind of like sort of almost like daring each other to watch them and a uh-huh. few movies have kind of gone viral again because, oh, of, because of this TikTok thing. So um, it happened with um, Megan is Missing. And oh, yeah. the director of Megan is Missing had to like get on Twitter, had to get on TikTok and like make a statement and be like, you weren't the intended audience for this. You're too young. <laughs> like, you shouldn't be watching it alone. You shouldn't be watching it in the dark, you know. Oh, um, my God. And then, like, I saw it again with um, this one called Catsick Blues. And I saw the director tweet, seems that Catsick Blues has got on TikTok and upset some people. <laughs> oh, my God. But I think it's super interesting just seeing this generation just discover these films. And, you know, I, don't, I think there's an interesting story there basically live this weird genre that only really gets that only really um gets any airtime when something like moral panicky happens yeah um so now all of the headlines are like teens traumatized by a sick film (laughs) 
Um, and and uh, you know, and again, it's like the only time. It's the only thing that makes people watch those movies. Like, yeah. is there sort of negative press around them? So now they're getting like a second round. Wow. Yeah. Well, there you go. Evolution of horror. We need to get Mike involved and uh, do a TikTok series, you know? Yeah, definitely. Oh, God, no, please don't make me do another social media. I'm so tired. <laughs> I was with my um my flatmate having dinner with um some friends of ours. And oh. they're like, I don't know, you know how you sometimes have dinner with normal people and then you realize like what a freak you are? And so like we were trying to explain the Wayfair, like... Um, oh yeah, yeah. But then like and then so like but then we were sort of going oh, so you know um so you know QAnon and they were like no and so we, and we were like you know so you know the satanic panic and they're like no and like pizza gate and they're like no and so it just kind of it just it, it took so much explaining just to kind of have to to tell like the entire history of conspiratorial thinking in America so it was like hours by the time we finished so this is the penultimate episode we're gonna start we, we, we will start with Martha Marcy May Marlene and finish off with Madeline's Madeline but I thought that before you do the synopsis, I'll just, shall I just give a quick theoretical thing that I think would be relevant and you let me know as well if, if anything comes to you in terms of any supplemental like theory that you want to attach to it. Yeah, please do. So we'll be discussing, loosely discussing isolation in this episode. Yeah. So the topic is isolation and I was kind of thinking about it and I, because the whole structure of a cult, of course, is that it it is very much powered on targeting people who might be vulnerable and that you know there's sort of there's already maybe like a crisis going on or some fragility or maybe just even inexperience and naivete I don't know what but some combination of those things but ultimately it cannot work if that person who's being recruited to join the cult has a strong support network it just won't work because like there's going to be too many people involved and like dissuading that person from joining. And it really is powered on making sure that the target is isolated and, you know, really severing ties from the people that love them. It may not even necessarily be the case that the person's running away from home or maybe even had traumatic experiences with their parents or loved ones. It could just be that they kind of end up being duped by people into kind of like negating their own family or their own support network. Mm -hmm. I'm actually reminded of, um, you know, there's a YouTuber. I don't know if you've heard of this guy before. He's called Stefan Molyneux. No, you never. Know? Okay, you're not missing anything. Don't, <laughs> don't worry about like, you know, you, you definitely don't need to be aware of this person. He's, he's just very toxic. Um, but the thing about this guy, he's an MRA. So he's a men's rights activist. He's like on the far right. He's an, I think he's like an ethno-nationalist. He's just got a lot of baggage. There's a, lo a lot of toxic stuff going on with this guy. But the reason I mention him is because he started his channel on YouTube because he, um, pr he purports to be a philosopher. Oh, I know. So obnoxious. But he himself has shared many times that he grew up in a household where his mother was very abusive towards him. I think like physically abusive, like, you know, there was a lot of violence and stuff. So that's kind of where his misogyny comes from, actually. Mm -hmm. But 
um, the thing that's interesting and relevant to our discussion is that he completely like emancipated himself from his family. And then he started telling his followers that they all need to kind of divorce their families, like arbitrarily. But what he, what he was ultimately doing was he was really isolating people from their loved ones. It's kind of incalculable how much damage he did in terms of convincing particularly young men to kind of isolate themselves willingly. In that way, his movement was very cultish. And that's horrible. It's horrible. Absolutely, like, irresponsible and horrific. Like, he, I think he kind of took some solace knowing that it what he wasn't alone in kind of separating himself from his family ties that if he, if his listeners and fans joined in with him and did the same with their families that he had some kind of connection that's really ultimately what he what he was looking for a lot of people have accused him of starting a cult like it's kind of one of the biggest criticisms against him among many other things that's it's but, so interesting um, it reminds me of um the story of incels yeah, um, because that was started like that phrase and that community was actually started by a queer woman. Okay. Um, who started it because um, you know, she w- went to university and you know realized that, that she was gay and didn't really have any idea how to navigate dating, and uh-huh. so found that she was very awkward and very lonely, and so she started that. That was like she started that movement from that point of view. And then she kind of, there's like a really interesting podcast where she describes that the problem, the problem kind of happened when, um, you know, you, you do something for the sake of like community, but when, but you're, but when you're, you've based your community around something that you is a quality that you wish to not have in the future, it actually like the the sense of community causes a pressure for you to continue having that quality wow um and so you feel like guilt or you know discomfort for if you if you are then if you're then not celibate if you you know you suddenly if you do get the hang of dating or if you do acquire some confidence Mm -hmm. and um and you see that is what's happened like it's it's like it starts out as people trying to like help each other's loneliness and it ends as people like hate just hating women because yeah. of the you know because of the sense the sense of community means that yeah. you can't like you can't seek to be different from the thing that you've bonded over wow oh my god it goes back to what we were saying in identification then in terms of people just identifying with each other's lack mm. and kind of like losing sight of why they even joined the group and yeah. it's and it's they have to keep upholding the thing that they were initially complaining about. They can't really evolve past that. Exactly. So instead of making it, um, you know, my family didn't work out. Like, but I, I still believe in the concept of family. I make, I could make a new family. I could, you know, like join, you know, find a family in some other cult, like you know, social group. It's in fact no one should be attached at all. Exactly. Yeah. Everyone is. Everyone is isolated together this brings me to the point that um i had thought of in like the theoretical point that could go really well with our discussion um and that is disso like dissociation basically Mm -hmm. 
um, this idea that you kind of dissociation is, is, is something that it's like a pathological response to trauma that can appear in, in many different mental disorders. Um, you know, it can, you know, it can be present in psychosis or depression, OCD, um, you know, but it's mainly usually, um, thought of as being linked to post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm -hmm. And it's basically just the condition that where the person checks out of their present reality, like they, you know, there's, it's, 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 it's to do with like, basically kind of almost having like a mini black blackout or, um, loss of awareness or a memory or loss of perception from that moment. Um, and it is, you know, definitely a defense mechanism. Um, and it is used pathologically and invo- involuntarily. Like no one sets out to dissociate. It's just the brain being confronted either with an actual traumatic event that is happening to you right now or um, a flashback, like an intrusive memory that floods your mind and you're, you, you feel like you're back there in that terrible moment from the past. You're intensely reliving the past. And so your brain, like to, to, in an effort to protect you, forces you to kind of check out, you know, you're kind of separated from that moment. Um, and I feel like this is the thing that is, it's, it's so much a part of like the avoidant, uh, response to life where we feel like there's a terrible danger or there's an impending harm on the horizon. And so we would rather just avoid. So we kind of like withdraw, we, Mm -hmm. we eliminate the possibility of getting hurt by like actually just like pulling away. Um, and I feel like that's really at the basis of so much of how these mechanisms work in cults where people are isolated. It is very much an avoidant response. Um, of course, there's all kinds of like sadistic manipulative gaslighting techniques that um, cult leaders use to actually sever the ties of the person they've recruited to join the cult with their support system. So there is an active isolating mechanism at work in a cult. But I think once that's in place, the the leader's uh, manipulative techniques are then internalized by the person who's being recruited and then they start to kind of like maintain those isolating techniques themselves Mm. that was all really in terms of theory okay i'm gonna do i'm gonna synopsize okay okay um martha marcy may marlene 2011 oh my god so long ago um after disappearing for two years martha calls up her sister lucy from a roadside diner out of the blue and clearly distraught eventually coming to stay with Lucy and their husband Ted at their idyllic lake house. As her past as part of a cult begins to emerge, both her mental state and already tenuous relationship with her sister unravel. Okay, perfect. These are both quite short synopses because they're films that have like are quite minimal in terms of narrative. Yeah. Who's the director? Is it Sean Durkin? Yes. Yeah. Who's, I've got a new film this year. Oh really? What is it? Um, it's called I can't the remember nest. the nest. Yeah, and it's got Jude Law in. Oh. Jude Law in. <laughs> <laughs> I said that I didn't say that well. 
Um, yeah, which I haven't seen, but I feel like uh-huh. it was in the festival last year. Yeah, I, I think you're right. We didn't see it because that was a really busy year for some reason. Yeah. I didn't see very much. Um, oh, that's exciting. Yeah. I, I have to ask, when you rewatched it, did you watch it on a DVD? No, I watched it on something, maybe YouTube. Because the only reason I ask, because I happen to have the, the, the DVD and I, I watched it and then I saw that there was like an extra feature and there was like a, I don't know if it was a deleted scene. Or, I thought it was like the, I thought it was some kind of deleted final scene. Oh, yeah. What, did, what happened in it? Well, it, it, it wasn't, it wasn't an alternate ending or anything. It was, I think it was meant to be just another sequence within the movie but basically it showed how they recruited a new girl, like from start to finish. So it's like a pretty long scene, actually. It's 12 minutes. Oh, that's such a shame that they deleted that. That sounds really interesting. I know. Yeah, it really is. Like, I feel like they should have kept that in because um, I feel like it does add to the film um, because they basically show how. So, you know, like one of the guys in the cult, I cannot remember his name now, but he was the one with the blondish hair. Um, Bradley Corbett. Yes, exactly. Who's kind of in weird. the remake of Funny Games as well. Yes. And he's actually okay. quite a good director now. Oh, really? Yeah, he's directed a couple of films. Yeah, he was really good in this as well. Anyway, he, so he, he his character, it shows how he picks up a random girl, seduces her. And then right away they have sex in the bathroom of like a gas station. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, let's go for a drive. And then um, when she's off buying snacks or whatever, like on their on their road trip, he steals her cell phone and throws it away. Oh, my God. So like right away, she has she's literally unable to contact anyone, like pure isolation from like the get go. And then he pretends not to know what happened to her phone. She's like, um, where's my phone? Where's my phone? Like, we can't leave until I find my phone. And he's like, okay, I'll help you look. And of course, they don't find it. And then they go, um, they, sure enough, they, they head over into this place, the compound or whatever, the commune. And, um, and the whole, like, script of what, is done to the new girls just starts taking place you know so oh, it's that's very so formulaic it's really creepy actually like just to watch that on its own because it's uninterrupted by anybody else like because you know with Marth- with this movie of course there's the whole effect of in and out of the present moment like reliving the past it's very ptsd yeah yeah i really liked that. i didn't i actually hadn't realized how kind of tight this movie was in that yeah. way, in the way that everything leads onto, you know, a flashback or back into the present, it's yeah. really, it's really interesting. I, I'd forgotten a lot of things about this film. Um, yeah. And there's, yeah. do you feel like, you know, there's that really, the ch- most chilling bit for me is when the, she's showing the new girl the room where the babies are, and the girl says, are all the babies Patrick's? And mm-hmm. Elizabeth Olsen says, yes, he only has boys. Yeah. He um, kills the girls. Yes. Yeah, oh. And are we also supposed to assume that the men in the cult are Patrick's sons? Oh, that's a good question. Because there are older, there are older women, aren't there? Like women that are Patrick's age. Yeah, 
I think you're right. I think it has to be that. And they're kind of teenagers, the boys. Like they're, yeah. old, they're like teenagers or young, early. The Christopher Abbott, one of the boys as well. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. What a cast. I know. It's amazing. It's like, what a, like, as I was watching, I was just like, this, it just was like this collection of culty, like, <laughs> kind of grubby looking Los Angeles young actors, like, that you, yeah. of course, you would put them together in a cult. They, they look like, they all look like they're from a cult. Like because they're all kind of like hipsters of the millennial generation, yeah. and they don't they look like the cult members of the sixties. Yeah, they do, don't they? Yeah. Um. So they just kind of obvious casting every single person in that in that film. Just all of those indie actors. Wow. Yeah. And Sarah Paulson. And Sarah Paulson, who's just my favorite actress. All oh time. my god! Oh yeah, absolutely. This cult in particular, like, had for me, like very strong Manson family vibes because of the whole like breaking into rich houses. and Creep, then Creepy crawling. Creepy. Yeah. yeah. And, and and of course the leader doesn't do anything. He always, he just gets, you know, his minions to do his dirty work. Yeah. Yeah. He was, I think they must've based it on. And also the, like what I really like is when he, um, you know they're all playing guitar and then he comes and like takes the guitar because he's like in charge and then he's like this is called Marcy's song and it, he acts like he wrote it and it's yeah yeah that's right it, but it's a Jackson Frank song yeah it is exactly <laughs> um but that's kind of similar to Charlie Manson as well who had like aspirations of being a, yeah. a musician who did that's actually right. write his own songs but I bet he all you know Charlie Manson also if it hadn't been if all those girls in the Manson family hadn't been so zeitgeisty and, you know, into contemporary culture, he probably would have lied to them about music that he wrote too. Um, it's just like those those kids are yeah. unlikely to know who Jackson Frank is, so they're not going to know. They're not going to know. Yeah. It's, it's amazing how quickly that takes hold, you know. Um, it doesn't really take that much to to kind of suddenly become ensnared in the rhetoric that you're all alone mm. so you know there's nothing out there for you you know the, the world is a dark unknown place here we have a good foundation and you can rely on us we'll always be there for you and you know you can stay here with us we're your family but you have to open up right I don't know like the uh, when someone tells you to open up I just think it's like the worst thing in the world because it just means like open up to like my control yeah and nothing else like there's no there's nothing that that film just makes me think there's nothing wrong with being cynical and re like repressed and like reserved if yeah. you want to be because I think actually like having watched that film I feel like those personality traits are actually incredibly good defense mechanisms yeah. um and there's no need for you to open up to anyone if you don't want to. No, don't just let yourself be dazzled by some some stranger's ideology. Mm -hmm. Like be skeptical, be questioning, you know, don't take their authority for granted. That's why we're so-called proof, because we'd just be like, no, fuck off. I'm not drinking that smoothie or whatever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, yeah, but they always have fucking bananas in them. And I hate bananas. Um <laughs> <laughs> it's very Rosemary's Baby, isn't it? Yeah, it is. <laughs> but I think that what Master Marcy May Marlene proves, really, because it's about someone who feels rejected by her family, her real yeah. family, 
because you know you have this backstory of the mother dying or the parents dying and um or maybe maybe one parent leaving and one parent dying may you get the idea of and then the sister being so much older so she went to college and like Martha getting kind of left with someone who didn't want her Mm. um and I think that the like the harsh lesson that she kind of fails to learn in time is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently which is that you you, like you are always lonely Mm. and um the thing that it kind of proves is that is how much isolation there is in a group Wow. Yeah. Um, and that is what happens to her. Like as soon as you like are part of a group and you identify, you're actually so much more at risk of isolation because the second you step out of line, the group will turn on you. Yeah. So actually you're so much less at risk of isolation by just being alone or by kind of not be not like necessarily not necessarily going out of your way to be alone, but by being comfortable with the fact that you're lonely. Then wow. there is trying to kind of join you know like to try and join a group because the the group is sort of predicated on you not having your own individuality and you you know yeah you can't you can't do that it's impossible so you'll always be isolated even in even in something as close-knit as a cult like they're actually it's a lie that they're a group they're actually all incredibly isolated from one another and that's the only way that they function that is so true um, which is really yeah, sense of collectiveness and togetherness it, 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 that is a fraud. They are not. They are they are not allowed to c- confide in each other. She can't even be in the bathroom for five minutes without another cult member tricking her into opening the door. And in comes the leader who looks very aggressive. Yeah. Like there is no solidarity. There is no having your back. Um, they will turn against you. It is a totally insidious, um, dysfunctional grouping of people. Um, and the idea that, you know, it's because you won't be alone. That is actually a pretty lame excuse. Um, yeah. And I think that's the lesson that Sarah Paulson's like trying to impart. Like mm-hmm. her kind of, you know, Sarah Paulson comes off as this really uptight person. They come off as this like uptight couple with all of these kind of bourgeois values Mm. but you know like and you know she tells her off all the time she tells her off taking her bathing suit off and swimming naked she tells her off (laughs) for like getting into bed with them while they're having sex like quite rightly um yeah but like what she's saying I think what she's saying is like like there's something like have something between yourself and other people Mm-hmm. like you know whether that's a bathing suit or the bedroom door or like you know boundaries. she's yeah bound like boundaries like she's not telling her to have boundaries in this kind of it because it's socially expected of her she's like telling her to have boundaries because a lack of boundaries is incredibly dangerous yeah and will and is that and will diminish you over time um it's kind of yeah it's, an, it's kind of undignifying isn't it to because you're right like when she just got naked and went swimming in the lake it's like she there wasn't a moment's thought about how that might affect other people mm-hmm. or the, the comfort levels of other people you know not, not that I'm like trying to like moralize about nudity being a taboo or anything it's just that it never occurred to her how an action she takes impacts on others and that is the real proof of the pudding that like inside this cult 
there is no thinking about the other person. It is, it's a, it's, it's like a real a phony uh, antidote to being by yourself because you're never really thinking about other people. Oh, that's so good. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. It's, it was really interesting. Yeah, it is. I think, um, yeah, it's, it's, in, it's interesting because it made me kind of think about, I mean, especially Madeline's Madeline, which we're going to get on to. Yeah. Is, you know, because I'm, I'm interested in isolation as a, like an introvert. I do, you know, I like to be alone a lot of the time. But I also, yeah. especially like having just moved here and being more in London and closer to my friends, mm. if it's not socializing every day, I can mm. feel like I can feel lonely. And that's mm. really strange. I don't know where that came oh. from. Um, but it's like, and, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of like nice and interesting that I'm not exempt from loneliness. Mm-hmm. and also I don't know it's just I'm old enough to feel lonely and that's okay like yeah. because I know that it's a temporary state but it's like one that is also cyclical and it will come around again and again for the rest of my life yeah um so I think this and especially the next film like it really kind of you remember when we talked about liminal spaces yeah I think like the kind of the key to these films is like finding comfort in the liminal space Mm. and not finding it a discomforting place to be I was reading about um like Buddhists uh Buddhist monks Mm. they start every day by cleaning by sweeping the temple or sweeping the floors of their dwelling or wherever and washing themselves but they do it every morning and they'll do it every morning for the rest of their lives and that's because it's to remind themselves that um that well, in their case, it's to remind themselves that desire builds up mm. um, and they're supposed to be free of desire. But it's kind of like it reminds them that um, they that everything kind of needs, it needs like constant work and you're supposed mm. to take joy in the constant work or the constant, um, n- the constant kind of passing of time that things, things will continue to come back or things will continue yeah. to be painful or things will continue to be difficult and you're supposed to be okay with that this film particularly is like about someone that so desperately wanted to avoid feeling lonely like in avoiding the loneliness she just became so much more isolated yeah and it's yeah. like that I don't know I feel like maybe sitting and being lonely or being you know sitting and in being alone is like part of the work that you sometimes have to do in order to kind of live your life yeah, absolutely. That's... Yeah, you you just have to make peace with it. Yeah, like to come to terms with it and not try and fill the void and or or dissociate from you know divorce yourself from those responsibilities that might feel really tedious or interpersonal relationships that are complicated and need work. You know, mm-hmm. in the end, she just ended up being an accomplice to you know murder rape yeah and then she's totally alone because she can't tell anyone what happened because you know she's she's a criminal now and like and I think it's also like the thing that she's really the thing that's really painful to say is like it's like the shame of loneliness or the shame of needing someone and that's the thing that that's like there are sort of two things in the film that she can't say and one is like I was with these people I did these things but the other one is like Sarah Paulson's giving her the opportunity to say, like, I, I abandoned you and I made you feel alone. And she's like mm-hmm. refusing to acknowledge that that happened. 
yeah. like they try and have this conversation about it and she's like what are you talking it doesn't matter it's in the past it doesn't matter and That's Sarah right. Paulson's like of course it matters but it's like it's the thing like it's kind of in this cult she's been taught like, that she's not supposed to need these people yeah so she can't say like I was you know you left me alone and I was in pain yeah it's kind yeah, of exactly. it like makes a taboo out of those like in, in saying like you know we're going to cure your feelings of abandonment it makes a taboo out of those feelings of abandonment yeah oh my god that is so true that's so tragic I know it's really sad it's such a sad film what do you think happened in that final scene I think that she's just having like a paranoid like breakdown Mm-hmm. Um, just because I like think very I don't think very highly of the cult and I don't yeah. think they have like the resources to find her yeah I just don't think they can get their shit together enough to do that they're not that smart and they're not that determined and they've got plenty of women to prey on yeah um so I don't think I what do you think I think you're right I think it's just in her head yeah but yeah like well, again all of these like unspoken things she's got this burden yeah it's like when she's at also that party as well um like her sister had this little shindig Mm -hmm. and then the guy serving the drinks she you know martha freaked out because she i think she was convinced that he must have been in the cult yeah and i think that also is just i think that is just paranoid fear yeah definitely um yeah, I mean, that scene where she t- she tries to phone them and then the phone rings again. It's quite scary. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. Um, but apart from that, I don't, yeah, I don't think that they've, I don't think they've got the ability to find her because I just don't, I think, you know, they're just like losers in the woods, <laughs> really, like when you take away all the scary things. Yeah, um, I think so too. So, yeah, I think she's safe. I, I think she's going to be fine in the, I think she's going to be fine. In, the, in her new life. I want to. See, I want to see like that. She's going to be safe in her new life. Exactly. She's going to be safe because she's going to like a hospital and they're going to look after her. Yeah. Um. I actually think that um. I w- I'd quite be willing to watch like a sequel to this film. Me too. I would really like to. I think it would be really interesting. I feel like, um, I feel like Lucy and Ted will be divorced. Yeah. Definitely in their film um because it's interesting because he kind of like he's not like a bad guy but he kind of mirrors like he sort of mirrors the structure of the men making the decisions yeah you know that she kind of came from this place where this like man was like getting in the way of the like the actual quite nice relationships between all the girls yeah you know they have this really nice supportive relationship um but obviously patrick kind of ruins that and gets them all to like help you know i guess them all to like rape each other yeah. And then, and then again, you've got this like this relationship where that sort of moment where Martha's having a panic attack after, at the party, yeah. and Sarah Paulson's like, it seems like she's really sympathetic and really looking after her, mm-hmm. but then like Ted comes in and it just seems like the kind of like potential bond that those sisters might have had is kind of broken because he's had yeah. enough. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. It's sort of he's not like a terrible person or anything, but he's yeah, he's got this sort of status as the patriarch of the yeah. family that means that he's not like helping. 
as long as you're living under my roof, eating my food. Oh, I didn't like it yeah. when he said that to her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I could see why he did because she's so annoying yeah. <laughs> and rude. Um, but then also, like, I noticed that he's he is like he sort of misses things about her that are valuable. Like, yeah. he, um, because she, you know, she doesn't contribute monetarily to the house. But there's a bit where she's cleaning their floor. Like she scrubs their floor and then he's like what are you doing come and come on the speedboat with me and stops yeah. her doing that and then he's like you're contributing nothing you're living under my you know you're living under my she's roof, doing my roof. She did try. it's like actually no she's like doing a lot of housework <laughs> um but the, you don't value that because that's not like that's like a feminized like form of work yeah and also it wasn't on your terms because yeah. you wanted to go on the boat <laughs> exactly so I, I do think that he's sort of there as like a mirror of Patrick in a way like a kind oh, of bourgeois no. mirror um, so it's kind of it's like it's kind of impossible for the women to be able to kind of get through to each other because there's yeah. like some man in the way and it's the same at both ends of the spectrum oh my god I love that insight so, I hadn't even thought yeah I like that I quite like that so it's kind of like isolations a given for women because like they have men separating them yeah which is oh, sad that is so sad um should we move on to the slightly more uplifting Madeline's Madeline yeah let's do it let's do it you know what I was l- looking up just now um so Josephine Decker's birthday mm-hmm. uh is April 2nd which is so she's an Aries <gasps> So many errors. But, but which what's really uncanny is that so just before we recorded, we were talking about uh Camille Pog- Poglia mm-hmm. and her birthday was April 2nd. Oh, how strange. <laughs> I know, isn't that random? That's really random. That's really I looked strange. up her birthday. Oh my god, it's so weird. Anyway. So Josephine Decker, I mean, I'm I know you're a big fan of her work, but I I don't really know her that much. I've only really seen this and Surely. There's only two more, um, Butter on the Latch and Thou Wast Mild and Lovely. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's the only one I haven't seen. But okay. Butter on the Latch I saw this year as well. It's um, good. Yeah, they're all good. They're all very similar, like the similar kind of but uh yeah, they're the similar kind of camera work and like kind mm-hmm. of dreamy feel. Um nice. yeah, I think she's she's really interesting. So yeah. Madeline's Madeline is two thousand and eighteen. Um, an emotionally troubled teenager who has a fraught relationship with her mother, Madeline begins to shine as part of a physical theatre troupe. She admires and looks up to the company's director, Evangeline, who seems to notice and encourage her talent. But her boundaries are pushed when Evangeline begins basing the group's work on Madeline's own personal experiences. Mm. Mm. Um, what did you think of this film? Because you, I feel like uh, you were quite excited when this came into the series. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I had not seen this when it first released. I watched it expressly for our series. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have any really expectations because I hadn't seen anything by her before. Um, but I loved it. I I really loved it. Like, I, I found it hard to watch, for sure, because mm-hmm. um, I've never really seen anything that looks like this before. But... Um, I, I think there's a I think it's very amenable to like a psychoanalytic um, investigation because I feel like it could easily just be a lot of the chaos and kind of internal crises of just one person you yeah. know 
Yeah. Def- actually, I think they're similar. I mean, the thing I really liked about Mark and Marcy May Marlene is that you never see, um, you you like rarely see Martha in the same shot as someone else. So like the camera mm. isolates her. Yeah. Um, and the only times you you do see her like with other people is when like at a sort of moments of crisis where like yeah. it, so it seems like she's maybe like kind of outside herself looking at the scene. Um, and you only see so you only like see and you see like the backs of people you don't really see people connecting and I feel like it's a little it's quite similar in this film you just see kind of fragments of people yes and, that's true but like in and you have kind of a claustrophobic view of Madeleine a lot mm-hmm. of the time like she's kind of being like watched or like d- d- you know kind of ogled maybe yeah um yeah but go on with your um idea of how you think it could be sort of one person's experience the mother and the theater director are having this tug of war and madeline's just kind of caught in the middle Mm -hmm. and it's sort of implied that madeline has mental illness but it's never really explained what that might be Mm -hmm. like it doesn't it's an unnamed illness and i can't help but i couldn't help but think watching it that every which way she turned she was faced with a cult that wanted to kind of like isolate her. And that included her mother, mm-hmm. who was so overbearing, overprotective, very controlling and very isolating, like really kind of almost like wanting to almost erase her from the world. It was really, un- it was really uncomfortable. Like, yeah, it's really like problematic stuff that happened in that family, like yeah. in the name of protection and like looking after or healing someone. Like, yeah. her mother, like, calls her a slut, and then later is like, but she's never even kissed a boy. And it's like, why do you yeah. call her a slut then? Like, and um, there's a few times, like, she'll, you know, and she's like, she'll tell, like, embarrassing stories about her in front of people. And it's all, like, kind of yeah. this idea to, like, hu- like shelter her via, like, humiliation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's... Yeah, exactly. So it's in a way, she's kind of just ensuring that... Um, she's painting this image of her that's unpalatable for society so that no one would really want to be around her. Yeah. No one. So it ensures her isolation even more, you know, and it's this kind of very, um, I don't know, just kind of codependent relationship that is, it seems so toxic. It felt like, it, it, you know, it was like a cult of two and mm-hmm. Madeline was the only recruit. Um, a folly idea. Yeah. A folly idea. Exactly. Exactly. But then, you know, this kind of artistic pursuit of being in this experimental theater troupe and stuff. It, it seems like such a beacon of hope, but then the theater director is a tyrant, you know? Mm. And it's like, there was one line where she was instructed to like, don't be the cat, be in the cat or something. And it well, was just like, first, oh, that, that's like the first line, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's a metaphor. You're not. Um, you're not the cat you're inside the cat or something that's it. Yeah, yeah 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 it's I feel like I, that's because the film opens with that so I feel like that's some kind of direction okay um for like how to view it yeah maybe I'm not really sure but I haven't it's like a riddle that I haven't figured out well maybe that is then f- more support for the idea that it is all an internal conflict because she's inside you know it's these these are elements and different parts of her that she has to kind of process and work through maybe mm-hmm. there is this kind of potential for you know her activities in the theater 
you know, she it bonds her to other people. It, it makes her feel less alone, less isolated from the world. But then with this really tyrannical theater director, it's like, it just seems like yet another formulaic group of people. Um, and it, is, it does feel sometimes like a cult as well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like acting as a profession like the things yeah. that you have to do the things that you're like because that is you know if if there's any people that get told like you have to open up I have to you have to let me break you down mm, like and yeah. it's just part of their job it's actors so wow. like yeah. you know so the film's like very much like in the way that the master was like I think the film's very much about acting and like kind of the things that you have to like accept being done to you in order to be good yeah um so because I, I remember I had a friend I have a friend at work who when we first started working together he was freelance as well so he had a bit more time on his hands and he mm-hmm. just for fun did an acting class after work and I remember oh. he was we went twice a week to this acting class mm-hmm. and I remember him coming back and I can now for the it was like the beginning of last year so I now for the life of me can't remember any of the stories but I remember mm-hmm. occasionally he would come and say like his acting teacher said something to him or to another pupil that I would be like whoa that's inappropriate um yeah and I think like there's a lot that it's it's like structured as a as like a practice Mm. it's structured in a way that people can do that to you that Mm. they can kind of yeah they can do inappropriate things to you in the name of like making you vulnerable which makes you a better actor Mm-hmm. Which, you know, like, we've seen on, like, the top levels as well, you know, like, the yeah. way that, like, directors like Stanley Kubrick used to, like, plot, oh, yeah. like, plot, you know, actors, like, having a difficult time. And which is, like, actually really insulting because it implies the actors can't bring it by themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, it's really accepted, this idea that you can, like, treat actors however you want and or, like, and or that they are, like, it's fine for them to damage themselves in the process of getting a role right yeah um but I don't actually think that's what this film is about I think that I like your idea of it all being kind of parts of her because Mm. it's about I mean this is another film that I think because we talked about a few of these but this is about another film that I think is about like the pleasant and not so pleasant aspects of being a creator of being an artist Mm -hmm. and I know that Josephine Decker like thinks of Evangeline as like the worst version of herself okay um because you know actually i have a good quote from her which is interesting um she's because she basically you know she did a few projects where she felt like like she did a project that was about that was a kind of documentary project about um prisoners people in prison and it was one of those like verbatim things where like you do interviews and then other people act out the interviews and she ended up like interviewing a load of black people who were incarcerated and then all of the actors she got to play them were white and it's because like of a funding thing she didn't have enough time she just got a group of friends together but she felt bad about it because there is like a racial thing in this film that there are like these two white women fighting over what to do with this black girl and that she keeps having like things kind of stolen from her like um and then like in the end the only people the people that kind of stand up for her are all of the all of the other black women in the in the group yeah um so that's like a definite conscious part of it because I think she really wanted to correct that mistake 
but I think there's something so like it was about so she said this she said um my therapist was like you want to make movies with real people you want to collaborate with those people to make them you want to take their stories and then you want to fictionalize them and then have total control over the ultimate story that's told and you don't want anyone to hate you for it a divorce court would call those irreconcilable differences oh my god that's such a great quote um so i think that's kind of like about this film is like about josephine decker just like again i hate to kind of like wrap it all up in a bow but discovering that kind of liminal space of like the selfishness of creation but also the collaborative like to find like a way that is collaborative Mm -hmm. and like you can never do it perfectly and you'll always in some way be upsetting someone but she just kind of keeps coming back to like, and she discovered this actress who is the actress that plays Madeline and like, you know, and it was like very much kind of collaborative process, but at the end of the day, there's a director and the, you know, the director is maybe going to unconsciously cause some damage. Mm -hmm. So I think it's about, it's kind of about like the fears around creativity, especially maybe creativity as a woman that you have to that you want to be creative but you don't want anyone to hate you and maybe those things can't coexist. Mm. But then I also think there's something unco- there's something that she didn't really plan for going on because like as much as Evangeline steals from Madeline and mm. you know takes these ideas and like you know puts her in this position where she has to use like all of this stuff inside her for Ma- you know for Evangeline's like larger vision. You know, like Madeline does that to her mum. Yeah. In the film, like she takes, like they all, like they're all wearing like the same cardigan as her, in that sort of like climactic yeah. scene, and you know, and she like keeps taking like little nuggets of things that her mum did and like telling them to Evangeline to like impress her, yeah. and then she like takes, you know, she takes all of her like words and her entire personality in this performance and really upsets her. Mm-hmm. So I do think it is like it is kind of. I think you're right like I think Madeline actually is all of the all of the elements like she's kind of like a tyrant and then she's kind of like you know she's she's kind of like a tyrant she's like kind of controlling she says horrible things about people to their spouses you know like Mm -hmm. her mum would like I think she's kind of all of yeah like they're all kind of elements of Madeline yeah I think so Mm. because um it's also interesting that the theater director's name is Evangeline because it makes me think of um, like evangelical Christians. Oh yeah, of course. You know, and like, because just that whole approach to religion, like it's, it's all very, um, what is it? It maintains the belief that the essence of the gospel consists of the doctrine of salvation by grace alone solely through faith in Jesus Jesus's atonement Mm. so and they're very dogmatic about that and I feel like maybe it is a kind of thing of like you know maybe Madeline is is looking for you know to liberate herself from the kind of like vice grip that is her relationship with her mother but she just kind of ends up falling into this other kind of evangelical doctrine of, you know, that she has to be saved, you know? But don't you think that evangelical doctrine is a lot like what um, artists are told? That, like, you have to, like, if you're not living your craft, if you're not thinking about it every minute of the day, and if you're not making sacrifices, if you're not sacrificing your personal relationship, then you're not good enough? 
exactly i do yeah yeah i think you're right so it's kind of about this person trying to like inhabit these two worlds i suppose yeah kind of negotiate them negotiate yeah it's like she's like constantly negotiating and like going from one to the other and like playing them off against each other like parents Mm -hmm. and um and like you know and then like there's that bit where evangeline kind of sabotages the mother what's the mother called is it regina Regina, yeah like evangeline kind of sabotages regina yeah it's kind of like what your like artist self would do to your like personal life self yeah you know it's like it's like you know she sort of says oh you're you know this and like regina's like super flattered that she's been invited to this acting workshop and then it's all at her expense and it's really horrible um and then the moment there's like a really kind of brief moment where madeline's like kind of happy in this sort of like pure way and that's when she's doing this really like childlike art all by herself and it's when she's kind of been like kind of manipulated out of the theater troupe before she's brought back in and Mm -hmm. she's like she spends like some time like doing like hand painting with some kids and then she's like collaging Mm-hmm. and it's really like that's kind of like this like midsection of the two madelines where she's just kind of like content oh. to be and that's like the good side of isolation where she was kind of content to be doing this thing that's just for her yeah. yeah absolutely yeah you're right like she's kind of trying to um negotiate these different tendencies and it doesn't even have to be necessarily that they're actual people in her life doing this to her it could just be her own impulses mm-hmm you know, that she's internalized. But also I was thinking that, um, because I was reading about dissociation as well, and I was um, very intrigued to learn that the profession that demands the most dissociation from a person is acting. Of course, that's so interesting. Because you have to completely, like, disregard your true self or whatever, like, you know semblance of your true self you have left whatever remains and you have to completely disregard it for the period of time that you're performing the role it's a total dissociation and I feel like that is you know something that it's very close to isolation like it is very close to kind of um I wonder also if we can think of isolation not 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 necessarily as the meaning something that is in the state of being alone or being separate, but maybe something also, you know, when you isolate something, mm-hmm. you, it, 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 you've, you kind of like locate it in a very specific way. Yeah. So, you know, and in a way that is also an interesting um, dimension of Madeline's Madeline, because she, it, it, she does, she does strike me as a character very much like in the, in the midst of working through and processing and trying to isolate something, you know? Yeah, that's actually so interesting. That's mm. really nice. That's yeah. nice. Like, there's so many, like, positive versions <laughs> of isolation. I think that's the most positive yet. The idea yeah. of, like, trying to, like, find something, trying to sort through and find the thing. Um, it's yeah. really nice. One of, my fa- one of my all-time favorite songs ever is by Iggy Pop and it's called Isolation. Oh yeah, I think I know that song. I'm going I'm going to I'm going to finish off this episode with that song. Oh, perfect. That's it perfect. has to be that song. <laughs> <laughs> with David Bowie on I think backing vocals. 
Oh yeah, I love it when people pop pop up on other people's records. My favorite is um, Mick Jagger doing the "You're So Vain" backing. Oh yeah, which have you heard? Have you noticed that? I I I kind of knew about it, but I don't think I ever really like paid attention to the vocals and like spotted it. If you listen to it like right after we record, okay. um, like the second chorus, you like once you hear it, you can't unhear it. Like oh my god, unmistakably Mick Jagger. <laughs> he stole her thunder. Yeah, <laughs> that's ironic, actually. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, I will listen to that for sure. Um, but that's been a really positive discussion. Did you have anything else to add about this film? I don't think so. No, I mean, I'm still like processing it myself, isolating it myself. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. Like, I like. I'm pretty happy that it's it fits. It fits. I feel like we're kind of coming up with this like canon of films about being an artist, like by accident. Yeah. And I feel like we can definitely add it to that. And I like that it's sort of. I like that we kind of have an alternative reading of it than maybe Josephine Decker intended. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it's it's. I think it's. Yeah, I'm really glad we saw that. Well, because also Shirley, you know, I mean, that is really a character who's a full blown agoraphobic. Yeah. You know, so is she still continuing with that kind of preoccupation with aloneness and this desire to isolate something within yourself or within your work? You know, but really pin it down. Yeah, I suppose that is yeah. why that is the thing that makes these people kind of go off on their quests isn't it yeah they're trying to like figure out what the thing is inside them that is like causing everything yes um yeah exactly yeah the loneliness of the long distance runner yeah exactly <laughs> yeah I'm, gl- I'm so glad we finished with this one because i feel like it's it's much more heartening you know yeah i agree i agree definitely yeah but we do finish in the in the next episode. It'll be um, we're, we're finishing the series off with deprogramming. Ooh, thank God we need some. Thank God we need to be deprogrammed. Mm-hmm. Especially you, you almost joined Scientology last week. Oh my God! <laughs> just just for the sake of finding out one personality from that test. You know? <laughs> so we're gonna be looking at Holy Smoke and Charlie says. Yay! Yay! Um. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Um. Thank you for like all your following and donating please continue to donate if you can afford it follow us on our socials um, do all the usual things and soon we'll be back with another poll for you guys so you can decide our next series yeah and and do us a favor and leave us a five star review on itunes oh please do that would be so nice none of those three star or four star tip like i want to i want to see five stars yeah exactly like embrace the five star like you know we're in such a three and four star society <laughs> and we're in a three-star society and i just think rebel against that and just you know yeah, really, be an extremist yeah just be extreme like be a thought leader yeah exactly um but yeah no thank you so much for you know everything um we we're really feeling the love in this series so we're really happy and um yeah catch you on the next one guys bye bye, bye.